But, uh, man, I got some awesome feedback, and I appreciate James's passion and to revealing the truth. And I understand sometimes the truth is, is hard to hear sometimes. And uh, I know when I first heard truth, it was very offensive to me. But after I went home and pondered these things, you know, God revealed that yes, this is all true, this is all biblical, and we just have a passion to really see people get set free and, and experience the fullness of the gospel. You know, I had a dream one time that I was in church, and I, I there was a big crowd that gathered, and I didn't understand why they were all there, and me and my fellow pastor back home, Pastor Jeff, began to get up and just to stall time, we began to, to just share the goodness of the gospel of grace. And it dawned on us that we were here for a wedding. And we really weren't for sure whose wedding it was. And then it was revealed as we kept talking that it was our wedding. And we were the bride of Christ. And I began to tell the people that we are the bride of Christ. And there are some people got angry and walked out of the building. And I chased them down into the foyer. And I'm like, where are you going? Don't you know we're the bride of Christ? And I, and I didn't realize it, but I had the microphone in my head, hand. And I yelled, we are the champions. And the whole congregation... I didn't realize it at the time. It filled up to a coliseum, and they heard me yell, we are the champions. And they all went into this eruption of celebrating that we were the champions in Christ. And all in one accord shouted like a thunder that we are the champions. And I think that's what we're seeing in America right now. I believe we are in the middle of a, another reformation of this tidal wave of grace. And God's revealing so much. But as we yelled, we are the champions in my dream, I looked up and I could see clear into the heavens. And there was Jesus standing. He was on a white horse on the edge of a cliff, like he was getting ready to come back. But yet, he was, as we shouted our identity, he began to glow and glow and glow brighter and brighter. It brought him so much glory. When we knew who we were, and so much pleasure. But I, I've got some awesome feedback just now. Donna, who left, she just said, I never realized it was about our, our, our righteousness in him. It's not about our sin anymore. It's about his righteousness. So I believe people were set free from this conference. Yeah. It was awesome to see you tonight. And I pray that if, if, if you have any questions, we're going to do Q&A here in a minute. I got a few questions in my pocket. And, um, but yeah, just ponder these things. You know, if you're unsure of anything, just either ask or go home and ask God. Ask the Spirit to reveal it to you. And look, like James says, don't take our word for it. Go in and look. Find for yourselves. But, uh, all right, James has got a pretty cool presentation he's going to share. Like you recruited some help. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yes. All right. Jim, take it away. Okay. How you doing? All right. Yeah, I mean, I would like to say how much it's meant to me. Uh, it's uh, more real than anything that I've been uh, led to by other men, you know, who think they are needed as a gateway to God, you know, and I've seen uh, James here and Wes here take zero credit, zero credit, and they give it all where it should be, you know, honestly. We got to be careful, we got to be careful because as you brought up 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world have blinded their eyes so that they cannot see you know, a place to bail, depending on what version you're reading. But yes, yes, thank you guys so much. 
Thank you. Yeah. James, just we blessed me so much after the, the uh, talk just said, he just said, man, this is real, man, this is real. I really see this. Like, I'm here with, with everything you're saying. So thanks for the encouragement, man. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I like what James just said about, about you know, men and all. I'm, one of my favorite verses in 1 John, it says, you need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth, and you shall abide in him. I love that verse. First, the, the Apostle John was very clear. You need no man teach you, but the anointing which abides within you shall lead you into all truth, and you shall abide in him. Is you know, anybody else? Anybody else got a testimony or anything they want to say? I know they're Amy said she's getting super blessed. So, um, can we uh, dim the lights, Wes? You can see the lamps better if the lights are off. This is just a little simple illustration that the Lord gave me years ago that I've done in churches all over the place. And um, I've had pastors tell me it's been the best picture of the new creation they've ever seen, you know, like, to help people understand how it works, how what, what God did in Christ. So I hope this, hope this blesses you also. And then when we finish this, we'll go right into the questions and try to answer as many questions as we can. But these three lamps represent three different people, three different people. And this person here is a person with, this is perfect with the white globe because this person here is a person who um, thinks by their good works they can be good enough for heaven. And it's white, you know, very nice, pretty white. Um, but there's no light on it. There's no light on the inside. So this person symbolizes a person who does good works, gives, gives to charities, good person, works hard. Feels like that they're not that bad a person. They don't really need, you know, God. They're, you know, their great reputation in the community, whatever. So this is kind of a person that God still loves this person, but they don't see their need of him. And they think this whiteness is good enough. Uh, but there's no light inside him. There's no, there's no born-again experience. There's no reality inside him. He's just a man born of Adam. This is a person who um, has who becomes a believer. But this person, she has a huge drug problem and she's an addict and she's got so many issues and she's got, um, you know, just so many problems. And But she becomes a believer. She receives the gospel and believes on Jesus and puts her faith in him for the forgiveness of her sin. And she actually has the light within her. Um, but not much light is getting out because she's, She's still got a lot of wrong thinking in her mind, but she has received Jesus as her righteousness. This person is another believer who actually who also puts their faith in Jesus, and they receive the life of Christ, and they are given his life and righteousness within. Now, over time, this person begins to see more and more who they are in Christ. And as their mind is renewed, the light coming forth from her gets brighter and brighter. But it's not a different light bulb inside the lamp, but it gets brighter and brighter outwardly as her mind is renewed to who she really is and who God really is. And so men look at her and they think she's getting more holy. She's getting more righteous. Men look at her and think she's really, she's really becoming more like God. But in truth, the light has not changed. What was inside her has not changed from the day she was born of him. But the manifestation gets brighter and brighter as her mind as, is renewed and layers of wrong thinking are pulled away. The real her is getting out. 
but it's always been her. And finally, she really gets it. She grows in grace and the reality. And there's a beautiful light coming forth from her in her life. And she's just, just an awesome witness for the love of God. And religious people look at her and say, well, I think she's saved now. Because I think she's really, you know, she's really, she's got her act together now. I think she really is probably, probably going to heaven. When the truth is, the moment she believes, She's always had the same light within her. But the manifestation is different because of the renewal of the mind. The real her couldn't get out. Now this person struggled with her addiction her whole life. And she never really got past a lot of things that she wanted to get free of. She got through some of the things and gave more light. People were excited to see that, you know, maybe she is saved. I don't know. You know, maybe she, I don't know. But what's happening is that she's got the same life that she has. It's just not being manifested because the mind is not renewed to reveal who she really is shining forth from her. But she never quite got everything, you know, renewed where she could really express who she was. And she died of an overdose because she went back to drugs. This one also died. And when they stood before God, they were exactly the same. One hundred watt ball in both. One hundred watt. Both complete in Christ. One bore thirtyfold on earth. One bore a hundredfold on earth. For both his children, and both were welcomed into the heavens as righteous as God Himself. Isn't that cool? So the renewal of the mind what allows the real you to get out. Men will see the outward. Men judge according to the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And if you're a new creation in him, God knows you are his. And you are just as perfect as he is. They both had 100 watt bulbs in, in them, so to speak. And as the mind is renewed, the real you gets out. Life can flow in a greater and greater way. We go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. But we, we don't all finish perfectly. We all have our weaknesses and mistakes and people have problems and and sometimes, you know, we can't overcome something sometimes. But, but he's always there with us, always encouraging us, always teaching us. He who began a good work in us will complete it until his to the last day, the scripture says. That means the renewal of the mind. He's not working on you to make you perfect. He's working on you to see that you're perfect. You see the difference? He's not working on you to make you more perfect. He's working on you and me to show us we are already perfect by the renewal of our mind. See, the Spirit is given to show us what, oh, sorry. The Spirit, the Spirit is given to show us what is. What is. You've already died. You've already been raised. You've already joined to Him. You already sit with Him in heavenly places. It's, it's a done deal. It's finished. And so the Spirit is given to show us the things that belong to Jesus and now belong to you, Jesus said. He said, the Spirit will come and show you the things that belong to me and now to you because you're in me. As I am, so are you in the world now, he said. As I am, so are you in the world now. So the renewal of the mind is a process. Of, that's the process of the Christian life. God's not working on you in the sense that he's trying to make you fit for heaven. He's working on you and me so that I can see more what he did and who he is and who I am now in him. We see through a glass darkly in these brains. In these bodies, we see through a glass darkly. We prophesy in part. We hear in part. We understand in part because we're having to, to understand these heavenly realities through the brain. That's why Paul, when he had the experience out of the body, he was able to hear clearly all these things. And he said, oh, my God can't even articulate what I saw, what I heard, because he was out of the body.
The body, the brain, it causes static. It causes static and, and, and uh, it's like seeing through a glass darkly. You can't grasp the heavenly things that he really wants to reveal to us because of the infirmity of the flesh. That's why the scripture says the moment you die, you shall know all things even as you are known. The moment you leave your body, you're going to know all things even as you're known instantly. Now you're getting pieces of it by the Spirit as He reveals. And as you see and believe and grasp these things, you go from faith to greater faith and from glory to greater glory. Light, 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 light. But you are always the same from the first day you were born of the Spirit. Awesome! That's the reality. So there is a progressive nature to the, to the Christian life. And, and some people say, Yo, are you saying we don't have any sin? They miss the point. The truth is, yes, you have no sin. As a new creation, you have no sin. God removed your sin. He raised up a new creation. The, crea the new creation has no past. It has no past. It did not exist before, the scripture says. The, your new man never existed before. God cannot join himself even to something that's been cleaned up. God, think about it. God, holy God, cannot join himself to something that has a past. That, that, that needs to be cleaned, that was cleaned up. He can't even join himself to something that's been cleaned up. It's got to be a brand new person with no spot, no wrinkle, no past, no capability of sinning either. We'd be, we'd be right back in the garden with the need for another Savior. I mean, the scripture says the seed of God abides within the new creation and they cannot sin. First John, the seed of God abides within the new creation and he cannot sin. It's in the scripture. But we do sin as believers sometimes. Why? Because the flesh wars against the spirit. Because the power of sin still dwells in the body. And as our minds renewed, we are actually, to, actually able to walk out who we really are. The spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. The scripture says the body. The spirit puts to death the deeds of the body. Because the power of sin works in the body to keep you from being who you really are. Isn't that awesome? And that's how it works. It's so cool. God gave this revelation to the apostles. We can read about it. We can understand it. We don't have to, we can, we don't have to understand everything because if we understood everything, we'd be God. But he gave us enough clues to understand enough of the mystery so that we can see, oh, wow, I, I, I think I see that. That's logical. That's logical. Because, saints, think about this. If you're not perfect and holy right now in Christ, sitting there in your chair, if you're not holy, blameless, a new creation, 100 watts, 100% righteous. If you're not that right now, when your body dies and your heart beats its last beat and you are absent from the body and present with the Lord, the scripture says that's what happens the moment you die. It's absent from the body and present with, with the Lord. If you are not holy now, do you realize there is no scripture that teaches that God's going to do anything to make you holy, make you perfect, to finish the work, to finish the job? I mean, there's no scripture that says God hurriedly, you know, makes you perfect because you're about to stand in the presence of God. I mean, you're going to burn up in the presence of white hot glory of God if you're not perfect, right? Why is that? Because you're already perfect. That's what it means to walk by faith in the reality that you are complete in him now. And as the mind is renewed to this, you begin to walk out the new man. The new man puts on the deeds of the new man and you put off the deeds of the old man because that's who you really are. So there's no special work that God does when you leave your body to make you fit for heaven. You're fit for heaven tonight. I mean, this morning, today, you're, you're fit for heaven right now or you're, you're, you're not saved. Because the moment you got saved, he made you fit for heaven. In fact, he made you fit for a dwelling place for himself. You have become, the scripture says, the dwelling place of God. God dwells within you. You have become a habitation of the Spirit, Christ in you, the hope of your glory. It's done. It's awesome. Because if you're not perfect now, I mean, I mean if your sins are not being counted against you now, the next time you commit a sin, as we said last night, you would just blow up. Because you have holy God in you. And if your sins are being counted against you, you would just totally be destroyed. You would, God cannot live in sin or be joined to sin. So he had to create a new being. He raised you up from the dead. This is the extraordinary thing that happened. He raised up a new creation within this shell, this shell of a body. He cut away the shell. So the inner man, soul and spirit is wholly new in him and 
joined to him. It's like, it's like the, uh, we God showed me, it's like a blue, he showed me like a blue flame, a blue flame cut away the body from the inner man so that it separates me, the real me, from the body. And the power of sin is, is quarantined in the body itself, in the flesh, in our members. And this is what the Spirit has revealed to the apostles and to us so we can further understand how it works. But it's so cool. It's very cool. So by the renewal of the mind, we manifest more and more of who we are. But who we are is who we were the moment we believed. Righteous as Christ is righteous. Cool. So let's go ahead. I guess we can turn the lights up now and we can... Uh, Take some questions and uh, was this encouraging to see this? Right on the other side of that door. I think it's like the top two on the right. CJ, you want to join us up here, man? Sure. I'd like to get your perspective on some of this stuff too. Another sister come up to me here and she was like, I always wondered if my sister made it to heaven. And my wife said, Well, was she a believer? As, as simple as that. And was reassured that her sister, you know, was a believer and went to heaven. I mean, huge weight off of her. But here we got a few questions. Let's see. Alright, this is a good one that I kind of get a lot to kind of dealing with universalism. It says, you can't go to heaven unless you're saved, can you? That's true. You can't go to heaven unless you're saved. <laughs> <laughs> I like what Wes said earlier. It's so true that the only people that go to heaven are the people that are from heaven. Do you realize you're not trying to get to heaven, but you're going home? Because you're from there. Isn't that awesome? If you're born from above, then Jerusalem above is your mother. Book of Galatians. So Jerusalem above is your mother or your hometown now. You are from above. You are from Jerusalem above. You are here on earth. You will die here. Your body will die, and you will go home. And if you're not born there, you don't go home. It's not your home. It's what Jesus meant about the wind. He said, you know, people don't know where it's coming from or where it goes. And they don't know, the world doesn't know where you're from or where you're going. They don't know you're from above. The world, they just see the outward body. They don't know you're from above and then you're going back there. That's like the wind, see. So the question, universalism, I guess the question the, the person was asking, uh, is, is everybody going to say, because there, there's a teaching that's spreading out there, universalism. There's there's two teachings. There's universalism and then there's inclusionism. Inclusionism. Universalism teaches that everybody eventually is going to be saved, even if you don't believe. So the ones who don't believe, when they die, they're going to be purged or somehow. It's kind of like a purgatory kind of thing. They're going to be purged and, and eventually they'll come to faith and eventually they'll, be all, they'll all go to heaven so that everybody goes to heaven eventually. And they're kind of muddy on what that purging is all about, you know. But basically, the universalism says, universalism says that everybody eventually goes to heaven, whether you believe on earth or not, because eventually God's going to convince you afterwards, you know, by, I guess by pouring hot coals on you that you need to believe. I don't know. It's weird. But it's not true. Um, either believe on earth or you die in your sins, Jesus said. If you die in your sins, there's no hope. There remains no other sacrifice for sin but the, sin, but the sacrifice of the blood of Christ. And so if you reject it here... There remains no other sacrifice for sin. And there's no hope of life after this world. Um, as Jesus said, they will not be forgiven in this world or in the world to come. Very clear. Yeah, unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin basically is a rejection of Christ. It's not some moral sin you commit. It's a rejection of Christ. Those who reject Christ have committed the unpardonable sin. Because the only sin you cannot be forgiven of is the rejection of the one who has forgiven all sin. Makes sense. The only sin you cannot be forgiven of is a rejection of Jesus who forgives all sin. 
So if you reject him, it is the unpardonable sin. You will not be forgiven in this world or in the world to come, Jesus said. Because he's the one who forgave all sin. It makes sense. In fact, the scripture says when the spirit is given to the world, when the spirit comes out into the world, it convicts the world of sin because why? Because they committed adultery? Because they stole something from 7-Eleven? No. The spirit convicts the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. It's the one sin that remains. A rejection of the Christ. There is no forgiveness for the rejection of the one, the lamb who took away sin. But because we believe all our sins have been removed, past, present, and future, it's done. It's finished. So anyway, universalism says that, that everybody thinks is going to be saved um, and believe even after life. Inclusionism says that because Jesus died for everybody, the moment he was raised from the dead, everybody on the world got the Holy Spirit. And that God is in everybody. Even the terrorists that are killing people, even the murderers, everybody's got the Spirit of God. And they're all going to heaven. That's inclusionism, that, that everybody got the Spirit on the day he was raised from the dead. And the whole world is saved, they just don't know it. Which is ridiculous. And that's not true either. So universalism and inclusionism are both heresies and are not the gospel. Yeah, that, uh, the grace message always gets that question. Every time you notice that the truth of the gospel will get the message of inclusion and uh, everybody being saved. Because everybody questions, well, if we're living without sin, if we're included in the gospel, we're, we're really having faith that everybody that is hearing this word is saved and it's going to be saved by the truth of the gospel and that's the way we believe. We, we speak the truth and everybody will be saved. That's the kind of faith that God had when he sent Jesus. When, his, when he sent his son, his faith was that everybody would hear the truth and see the truth and that he would save the whole world. There's going to be those that, that don't receive it. But we have faith that all will be included. Amen? Yeah. But and there's going to be those that reject. Yeah. Yeah, that's God's will that none should perish. Right. That's why he went to the extreme of sending his one and only son. All right, here's a good one. And this had me hung up a lot. A lot. I see this a lot in the church dealing with communion. You know, it says do this in remembrance of me, but we make this do this in remembrance of sin. Probably referring to the do this in a worldly manner. But the question is, if we are not to confess our sins, it's plain communion. And Examine yourselves. What is the right way to understand and to celebrate? I like that word celebrate because that's what it is. The Lord's Supper. We hear this a lot that it's taught in many circles that before you take communion, examine yourself for any unconfessed sin before you take of the bread and wine and so forth. Lest you eat of the bread and wine unworthily. A total distortion of what Paul was saying. When Paul said, let a man examine himself, he was talking to the Corinthians about the issue of unbelievers taking the covenant meal. Unbelievers taking the covenant meal. If you read the context right above that, it talks about, he says, there are many heretics among you. Heretics among you. Because I don't praise you for this. There's heretics. There are unbelievers among you coming to the agape love feast because it's free food. And they're coming and partaking of the covenant meal. So Paul says, let a man examine himself to make sure he's in Christ or not. Is he really a believer? Otherwise, if you are an unbeliever and you're taking of the covenant meal, you're basically testifying against yourself. You're, you're eating it unworthily because you're, you've, re, you've rejected or not accepted the sacrifice of Christ. And now you're partaking of the, the symbols of his sacrifice and not having believed. So you actually are eating and drinking judgment to yourself as an unbeliever taking or partaking of the covenant meal. It's, it's the same phrase Paul uses in the second Corinthian letter. At the end of his letter, he says, let a man examine himself. Know you not, Christ is in you, un otherwise you are unregenerated. Same phrase, examine yourself to see if Christ is in you, otherwise you are unregenerated. So the same phrase used by the same apostle in the Corinthian letter, same thing, examine yourself. And, but the key is to see the beginning of that passage where the Lord's Supper talks about how he says there are heretics among you there are unbelievers among you 
He goes, let a man examine himself. He goes, make sure that he's in the covenant before he takes of the bread and the wine. Because if an unbeliever partakes of the covenant meal that, that's only for believers, they're drinking it unworthily. They're not even in the covenant. And they're drinking actually judgment to themselves because they're actually, it's actually a sentence of judgment against them because Jesus died for their sins. Does that make sense? So look at that again. You can read the chapters right there. Men have, have said that for years that you're supposed to look at your sin before you take the covenant meal. It's just the opposite. Jesus said, take my, take this bread, take this, this cup. This is my blood. This is my body for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. The covenant meal is not about remembering sin. It's about remembering him. Not about remembering sin, about remembering him. The scripture says under the old covenant, there was a remembrance of sin year by year. Old covenant law, remembrance of sin. New covenant grace, remembrance of him. So when you eat the bread, take the wine, you don't remember your sin. You certainly don't start looking for it. For if you look for it, you'll surely find it. For there's no good thing dwells in my flesh, Paul said. If you want to look for sin in the flesh, you'll surely find it. It'd be like C.S. Lewis said. It's like an onion. You keep taking off the layers of the onion. You can find sin, more sin, more sin. Who's kidding? Are you kidding yourself? So you're going to like go through all the flesh before you eat the covenant meal and make sure you name everything you did? That's a joke. It's not the truth. It's not what the new covenant's all about. The new covenant is a celebration of him, not our sin. We don't look back at ourselves. We look at him. The old covenant said, look at the sin. The new covenant says, look at him. And so we remember him. It's a celebration. The Passover meal for the, for the Israelis when they came out of Egypt was 4th of July. A nation was born in a day. It was the 4th of July. A nation was born in a day. The Passover meal was a celebration. We're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. The blood is on the doorpost. We're going to eat this and go through the Red Sea. We're getting out of here. This is celebration. This is fireworks. A nation born in a day. How much more should we be celebrating the reality of the Passover meal, which is we, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, we're getting out of here. Judgment has passed us over, and we have passed over into the kingdom. See? It's a celebration. Awesome. Another aspect of communion, really, if you look at it, is the ancient Jewish wedding. You know, where they, they, the groom would propose to the bride, and he would fill up a little glass of wine and say, this is the covenant I make with you. And for her to accept the proposal, she would drink of the wine. So really, that's kind of what the disciples were hearing, too. Yep. Is Jesus saying, will you marry me? It's pretty awesome stuff. All right, here's a good one we get a lot, too. Can you lose your salvation? Uh, that's a loaded question. Yeah, that's fully loaded. Uh, I totally believe you can walk away from Christ. Uh, but I believe totally if you receive the ball, that 100 watt light bulb in yourself, you're not going to walk away. And if you receive the truth of the gospel, you'll never walk away. If you receive the, I call it the selfish gospel, where you try to preserve yourself to get saved, go to heaven one day, then you may walk away from Christ because you didn't receive the truth. That person over there, right? And uh, so I, I totally believe if you receive the truth of the gospel and the 100 watt light bulb, you're not going to walk away. But if they, oh, yeah, you got, okay. But if, if they really heard a false gospel, then yes, they can walk away. They were never born in the Spirit. I've seen that, I see that quite a bit on Facebook. I'll see these guys that, that come along and they're like real heavy into the law and they're posting like all this law scripture on Facebook. And then like six months later, they're like back to their old ways and it's like they burn out already. And it's, they really walked away from law and religion and never received. And I think that's what we all probably done here. Yeah. At one time we burn out and then, then really at your burnout moment in Christianity is when grace swoops in. It's when, you know, I've heard it said the best time to save a drowning man is wait till he wore himself out. Yeah. And, and that's what happened for me. I was wore out and then God was like, well, here's the truth. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree with CJ 100% that you can hear a false gospel or you can hear a mixture and never really be born of the spirit like the, the lamp over here and yet that person may walk away from Christ but he never had the 100 watt light bulb never was born of the spirit but the scripture says 
that God would do a new covenant and that he would, he would circumcise our heart and cause us to love the Lord God. So the circumcised heart has within it a new want to, a new nature that wants to love God. And so God fixed it for the new man. It's still your freedom of choice, but your choice is to want to do what he wants because you have a new heart. So God fixed the problem. Otherwise, he would need another savior. We'd be right back like Adam with the first sin, you know, needing another savior. But God fixed it where you're even better than Adam was because you're actually a new creation joined to God. Adam was not joined to God. You're joined to God as a son and daughter of God with a new heart that has a new want to. And yet we struggle with the flesh. Believers struggle with the flesh. But God sees the heart. And just like this person who didn't finish baby strong outwardly, who struggled with things, that person had the same 100 watt righteousness that this person had because God looks at the heart. So my, my belief is that once you, are, once you believe, God keeps you. He, he blesses you and he keeps you. He blesses you with righteousness and he keeps you, in your, keeps you in the faith because the power of God will keep you. Jesus said that my father, that uh, no one will take them from my hand, my father's hand, that he will hold them and keep them. No man takes them from my father's hand. So we can rest in the truth that once you believe and put your trust in him, Paul said it this way. Paul said, I am persuaded, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I am persuaded, Paul said, that he's able to keep me. He keep me believing, keep me in the faith, keep me in the spirit. I am persuaded he is able to keep that which I've given to him. And you have given your life to him. Paul says, be persuaded. He's able to keep that to the end. Yeah, there are a couple verses that come to mind for me. It's in Philippians, I think, where he says, he will cause us to do his goodwill and pleasure. Yeah. The new heart, Romans, we become obedient from the heart. It's so awesome, you know. We get desires to do things. Ephesians 2.10 says we've been wired to do good works. Yes. We are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ for good works. That's all that works for the believer. I mean, when we, when we do sin, the evidence of the new creation is in our regret to sin. I mean, I remember when I never regretted anything. But now, you know, knowing who I am, it's like it stings a little bit when I go against my nature. Right. You know, it may take a day or something, but I'm like, duh, why did I do that? And that instant regret, you know, I don't hold on to it anymore. I just thank God that I'm not wired to do that anymore. But it, it's a beautiful thing. If I could have, Wes just brought up a scripture that is really misunderstood a lot. The scripture says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And we hear that talk all the time as a, like a verse that the Christian needs to, you know, really work, work, you know, make sure you're saved, you know, um, with fear and trembling. It could be, you know, God's going to judge you if you don't perform. The verse in the Greek there, work out, not work for, work out, work out. Let the light come out, let the light come out, work out the salvation you already have. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the Greek, the phrase fear and trembling is the exact same phrase Paul used in the Corinthian letter when he said, when he came to preach the gospel, he said, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling to preach the gospel. The word, the phrase fear and trembling in the Greek means with no confidence in yourself to do it. No confidence in yourself to do it. So Paul said, I came to you with weakness and with no confidence in myself to preach the gospel. And then he says again in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or work out your salvation with no confidence in yourself to do it. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Isn't that awesome? That's what that verse means. He's basically saying, look, let your salvation work out. Let it manifest. Let it come forth. With no confidence in yourself to do this. Because it's God who's at work, not you. God. To will it, to desire it, and to do it according to his good pleasure. So rest in him and let him work in you to do, to will it, and to do it. That's good stuff. All right, I'm going to end this with this question because <laughs> I am tired. But I think it's a good one and a practical one to leave with. And I appreciate you guys sticking around says, what are some tips on living out life in the kingdom of God? 
How do you live in the spirit instead of the flesh? How does this work practically? That is good. Uh, some tips is to recognize that you didn't come to Christ for benefits, but that you came into the kingdom of God so you could be transformed into his image, so that you could become like him. And so, you know, many times we go to church and we come to church thinking the church should transform us or give to us or take care of us or do things for us and we should get the benefits of everything that Christ is but we haven't become like him and so our purpose in life is just to be in him and be transformed into the likeness of his image so that you can shine bright without the covers that are on the lights on the lamps amen and so when we come to Christ it wasn't so that we could save ourselves or get us out of trouble or the benefit of it, but it was to become like him so that others could become like him. You have a great purpose. You know, Christ came to this earth because of his love, so much love that he wanted to live in you. That's how much love, that's how much value he's seen in you that he came to the earth to live in you. He wanted to live in you. I mean, think about that. The creator of the universe wanted to live in you. And so he sent his son so that he could live in you. And so the greatest tip, the greatest reminder of, of uh, in my life is never to receive condemnation. You know, when you slipped up, you mentioned, uh, you feel that now. That's how you can tell when you've been saved. When you're pure, you can feel that, that judgment and condemnation of the enemy trying to tell you you've done wrong. But the truth and the reality is you're still righteous. You still have that 100-watt light bulb. And so you have to shut down and cast down every thought that exalts itself above that. And when you do that, then you live in truth and freedom and condemnation will eventually leave. You know, submitting to God, submitting to God, it, it makes you resist the devil. It makes you resist everything he is bringing towards you when you just submit. And so if we just focus on submitting to the light, becoming him, then the, the life makes circumstances that it doesn't become your identity any longer. When somebody talks about you, when somebody comes against you, when, when offense would normally come, offense can't stick and cannot become who you are. Because you're in him. Yeah, I think part of receiving the love of Christ also there is a you got to deny and reject all the other thoughts that come in that contradict what is true in Christ yeah. you got to cast don't you know quick story I was having a hard time struggling with with my work spot with my old job I mean for I think maybe for a guy he kind of puts a lot of his identity into his family or into his job because he's taking care of his family and whatnot. So a lot of what he does every day gets wrapped up into his identity. And that world came crashing down on me once. And I, I mean, the enemy was having a field day. Look, you're not good enough for these people. And I entertained this thought for about a month. And I was reminded of what David did and what against Goliath. Saul entertained Goliath's accusations for 40 days. And David shows up on the scene and has none of it. He says, who is this uncircumcised giant? And what he was doing, he was saying, this giant is outside the covenant relationship of God. David knew who he was and what covenant he was in and understood that those accusations are outside of the covenant. And he casted that down and ultimately he overcome Goliath I just want to say that's a great question, the last question about how you practically, you know, walk in the spirit. Now, I just want to confirm what CJ just said too, that the heart of it is the love of God to first really know the love of God toward us. And, and think about this, saints, the eternal purpose of God is simply this. This is the eternal purpose of God. And you see it on the cross. And you see it in Jesus' last words to his apostles. The eternal purpose of God is that you might always be where he is. The eternal purpose of God is that 
you and I always be with him. Just like a bridegroom and a bride, he wants you to be with him. Always. And that's what he told the cross. I mean, he told the, the thief on the cross. He said, this day you will be with me. This is, I'm doing this all for that one purpose. You'll be with me. And before he left, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that in me, that where I am, you may be awesome. Where I am, you may be awesome. And he did that in three days. He raised up himself in three days. The body of Christ becomes the real temple. We are now where he is and he is where we are. But that's the heart of God, that he be with us, that he is with us, you are with him. That's his heart. It's that simple and that profound. And just to say a few simple practical things that I do, with this revelation, which is the heart of how you walk in the spirit, because you got to have revelation to even do it, some practical things that I do is I love to read the scripture. Read the scripture. Like we said earlier, you've got to study the scripture. Read it and, and see it for yourself in the scripture. Don't let a man talk you into something so that another man can talk you out of it. But search the scriptures, of what we've talked about at this conference. So it's very important to read the writings of the apostles. Read the writings of the gospels and read. So that's a very practical thing. Another thing is take time to get quiet and get alone. Because this world is full of noise. You've got social media, you've got radio, you've got TV, you've got cable, you've got movies, you've got music, you've got people, you know, harassing you, you've got jobs, you've got workplace. Take time to get away. Jesus would spend time away in quiet solitude because what happens is all these things that are being deposited in your spirit, you've got to take time to chew on them, meditate on them, ponder them. The power of pondering is greatly understated. You ponder spiritual things in quietness and they are magnified within you. But if you quickly just tuck them away and go back to work, go back to the radio, go back to TV, you miss the wealth that would, would be multiplied in you by simply pondering and walking, taking a walk down the road. Just get alone and ponder these things. Powerful, powerful, powerful truth is to simply take some time and be quiet and ponder It'll lead to prayer. It'll lead to prayer to God and God speaking to you. So that, that's also a very practical thing that can be done. And thirdly, hang out with people of like faith. It's very important to hang out with people who believe the truth because we need to have people that speak the truth to each other back and forth. So those three things, study the scripture to see if these things be so. Spend time alone, quiet. Take some time where you're quiet. Take quiet walks or when you're driving in your car, turn the radio off. I do that sometimes with no radio, no music, nothing. Just quietly driving in my car. It's a time I ponder and scriptures come up to me and the Lord speaks to me and just ponder. It's very important to have quiet time to ponder. Have your coffee on your patio in the morning and watch the sunrise. Watch the stars at night. Watch the fireflies at night. Just ponder. It's awesome, 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 awesome. And the spirit will take those things and multiply them within you and then hang out with people of like faith. Yeah, that's awesome. And I would just add one more thing. I'm trying to give you all a to-do list, definitely not, but one thing that works for me is actually speaking out loud. I mean, I like to wake up every morning and remind myself where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Self-talk. Yes. I mean, you know, life is found in the power of the tongue. And when we line up with what God says, it's, it's powerful. So just I like to wake up and quote scripture, that's truth, and even when I mess up, like you said earlier, thank you. I'm forgiven. I'm still righteous. I'm still holy. It's worth it. Yeah. Just keep it moving forward. But I really appreciate CJ, Anita, and the crew. And Ed, that's awesome. Well, they're going to close this out here. Uh, when when uh, I first heard the grace message, there was a scripture that helped me uh, battle out of that. Because we... When you hear this message at first, sometimes it causes a war inside of you because you were duped, or you were deceived, hoodwinked for years. And, and so there was a scripture that God gave me, and it was in Galatians 5, I think it's 5, 5, 5 or 5, 6. But it says that if you try to work out your salvation by the law, then you've actually fallen from grace. It's not if you sin, you fall from grace. It's... And it totally reversed everything I had been taught about how we're supposed to uh, do, 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 do. And it just becomes a bunch of do, do. 
So he put, he put, <laughs> he just said, you know, don't try to work it out by the law, but stay in my grace and I'll empower you and transform you to overcome. Yeah? And so I just ended by saying, it's finished. I just, I just realized that that's great, CJ. Um, it's just, it is opposite. Our thinking is totally opposite. Like, a, like for instance, a watered-down gospel is a gospel that adds law to it. You know, not a, not as people say, it's greasy grace you're preaching. It's, it's watered-down and you add the law. Not, you know. Anyway, so I just really, I just re realized I forgot to tell you the three things. I remember I said there are three things the church needs to change to change the world, and I only gave you the first one. So I got distracted and didn't finish it. But I'll just do it real quick. I won't start preaching again. But three things, if the church can get this right, it'll change the world, change the church. First, they gotta get we gotta get first John 1 9 right, the whole concept of confessing your sins on a daily basis to stay forgiven, stay right with God. That's gotta go. People's gotta they gotta see what the new creation is and the new covenant. Second thing, people have to see that they have a new heart. Ask Christians if they believe they have a new heart. Most do not believe that. They don't believe they have a new heart. They're still told to examine their heart for sin and to try to work out the, their evil heart and change their heart. You can't change your heart. Only God can change your heart, and he did it. If any man be in Christ, all things have become new. A new heart, a spiritual heart, a new creation has taken place. It was, it was prophesied in, by the prophet Ezekiel that God one day would wash us with clean water and give us a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel prophesied this. This is the new covenant. The washing of water is the blood of Christ. Washing us of all sin, giving us a new spirit and a new heart. That has happened now in Christ. You don't have to work on your heart. You couldn't work on your heart if you wanted to. Only God can give you a new heart. So that's the second thing. Most Christians do not believe they have a new heart. If you don't get that right, everything is screwed up. Really, it's all twisted. If you don't get that right. Okay, the third thing is that... The way we are renewed in the mind, the way we make progress in terms of the light coming out more and more from this new heart is not by looking at sin in the flesh. The new dynamic is to look at who you are in Christ. So the apostles were very clear. Set your mind on things above. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind. Know you're not. You are seated with him above. Look at Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, Paul says, you're looking into a mirror and you're seeing yourself. Because you're looking at yourself who has been created in the image of Jesus. So, so the whole focus of the new dynamic is looking at Christ. Looking at who you are now in him because you see him, you see who you are. So it's not about looking at the flesh. See, the, through the law is the knowledge of sin. Through the law is the knowledge of sin. Law reveals sin in the flesh. Grace is not about revealing sin in the flesh. Grace is about revealing Christ, revealing who Christ is and who you are in Christ. So it's a completely new dynamic. So those three things, if the church keep those three things right, it'd be amazing. Thank you guys so much. And thanks, Wes, for having me here. And I really appreciate the, uh, the love and encouragement.